0: Well, today, friends, we enter into some capital D drama. I'm talking about Shakespearean kind of stuff before Shakespeare was even a thing. Matthew unfolds for us in the 14th chapter of his gospel a very dramatic story that is meant to do more than just entertain. It's an entertaining story, yes, but there is purpose for why Matthew includes this story where he includes it in his gospel because he wants to show us how resistance to Jesus is growing. We got a taste of it last week when we saw him rejected in his hometown, but that resistance now is moving to the highest levels of the government. And it also reminds us of the future that awaits Jesus because of this growing resistance. This morning we finally hear the story of how John the Baptist died. You may remember that just before Jesus began his Galilean ministry, John the Baptist was arrested. We saw that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. And then we heard from John the Baptist when he was in prison in Matthew chapter 11. But We never nearly knew why he was imprisoned or what happened to him after his imprisonment. Well, today we get the rest of the story. In chapter 14, verse 1, Matthew introduces us to a guy named Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this Herod, also known as Herod Antipas, is the son of Herod the Great, who we also met earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2. He was the one that interacted with the wise men and murdered all the babies in Bethlehem. And when Herod the Great died, he divided his kingdom into three parts. Archelaus, the brother of Herod Antipas, was made ethnarch over Judea, while Antipas and his other brother were made tetrarchs. And Herod Antibas was specifically given rule over the area that Jesus is ministering in, the areas of Galilee and Perea. And Herod the Tetrarch, according to all testimony, was both brutal and worldly. Took after his father, it would seem. And he gets word of what's happening with Jesus and his ministry in verse 1. The miracles he's performing and how the people now regard him as a prophet. He has a very interesting reaction to the news he hears about Jesus. Look at verse 2 of Matthew chapter 14. He said to his servants upon hearing about the fame of Jesus, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work Within him. Now, all kinds of questions come to my mind whenever I read that verse. But the first one is, if you've been walking along in Matthew's story, John the Baptist is dead? Yes, he is. And Matthew tells us how this came about and also why he was arrested in the first place. We have a, a little bit of a flashback happening here in Matthew chapter 14. You see, Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, had been up to some very, very bad things with a woman named Herodias. Let me unpack them for you. Herod Antipas was originally married to the daughter of a regional king in order to secure peace. But he fell in love with Herodias, the wife of his half-brother, Herod Philip I, who was not a ruler but a private citizen, I think. Somehow, Herodias is also Herod Antipas's half-niece. It all gets pretty confusing. It's like a, a lifetime movie script when you go back and read all of this kind of connections in the story. And they made a plan to be married, but Herodias demanded that, the first, that he divorced his first wife before he would marry her, which he did, which led to a war because that marriage was in order to secure peace, and then Rome had to come rescue him, which I'm sure was embarrassing for the ruler. And not only did he have to deal with Rome, Here comes John the Baptist, being a prophet of God. He comes and speaks out against the actions of this wicked ruler. He calls them unlawful, which they were. They they went against the law of God, as you can see in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. This marriage to his half-brother's wife would have been both adulterous and incestuous. And this is a problem for Herod, who rules over Jewish people. Because the people recognize the prophetic power of John. They recognize that he speaks for God and he is coming declaring that this king is unfit to rule over the people of God. And so Herod responds. He has John arrested, but did not want to put him to death, according to verse five, because he feared the people who recognized the prophetic power of John would revolt against him. But this is not enough for Herodias. She knows her fate is tied now to Herod Antipas' fate, and she wants to get John completely out of the way. Something more has to be done, and we see that unfold in the rest of our text, beginning in verse 6 of Matthew 14. Here's what the Bible says. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias, who's probably around 14 years old, which just shows you the depravity of this culture, came and danced before the company, and this pleased Herod. So that, in response to this pleasing, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here, right now, on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. Well, that took a pretty violent turn, right? Herod is entrapped by his own rashness and he is forced to choose between two things that he fears, looking weak in front of his guests are stirring up a mob of religious devotees upon hearing about John the Baptist's death. Well, the immediate fear wins out and he has John the Baptist's head cut off and served on a platter, a desperate attempt to hold on to the favor of the people that he loosely rules over. And right at that moment, when we hear about John the Baptist being beheaded, right at this moment, this violent event, I think Matthew is pressing us with an important question, a question that he's been asking throughout the writing of his gospel about the nature of this kingdom and King Jesus who rules over it. Here's the question that he's asking and been asking of us as a people. Who chose the better kingdom? whose kingdom is better? Remember, one of the major things we've been looking at is is Matthew's teaching us that Jesus' kingdom is very different than we expected, but it's also better, significantly better, so much better. In fact, if you believe in the kingdom of God, if you believe in in the work of Jesus, that it will sustain you, that belief, that promise of the kingdom will sustain you when opposition comes, when anything comes against the work of God that you are engaged in. And that question, once again, comes from this text Who is in the better kingdom? Which kingdom are you pursuing? Listen, Herod and John the Baptist could not be more different. And in some ways, they are representations of these two kingdoms that we've been hearing about, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And so through them, we see these options presented once again. Who do you want to be like, Herod or John the Baptist? Who has a better understanding of what is ultimately important, eternally important? So let's think through this story just for a moment with this question in mind, this perspective in mind. Which man is in the better kingdom? Which man is pursuing the better kingdom? Consider Herod the Tetrarch, who's pursuing the kingdom of this world, it would seem. He was consumed with the present, with the now. He was consumed with material goods and pleasure. He had worldly riches. He had worldly power. Everything that we in our flesh long for, Herod had. And yet, there was an obvious deficiency in his life. Something lacked. He never had enough. He was never satisfied. It only lasted for a moment, even if if he did find satisfaction. His wife wasn't enough. His power wasn't enough. When a foreign invader came to bring unrest in his kingdom, He was constantly looking for new things to please himself and to please his people. And because of that, he lived in fear. He was consumed by the fear of man, verses 5 and 9 tell us. He seemed powerful, but in reality, his power was limited, dependent. He seemed content, but in reality, he was desperate. He was so consumed with guilt or fear that when he heard about Jesus, think about this. He was so consumed with fear that when he heard about Jesus, he thought it was John the Baptist, according to verse 2. That he had been given these powers, resurrected from the dead, and given these powers to come and bring judgment upon Herod. Now, let me ask you this question What kind of peace does that kingdom provide? What kind of price? Do you have to pay to hold on to the false promises of that kingdom? Now consider John the Baptist. He was pursuing a very different kingdom, the kingdom of God. He rejected material goods and pleasure. We see this in the testimony of chapter three, verse four of Matthew's gospel. Did you remember what kind of clothes John the Baptist wore? A camel hair garment, And a leather belt. Listen, if you go to the finest catwalks of Paris, you're not gonna see a lot of garments made out of camel hair. Nobody's rushing to the store to buy camel haired clothes. But he willingly embraced that as a statement of his rejection of the things of this world. He had no earthly riches, no earthly power, yet he enjoyed a freedom that Herod did not. He was rich in different ways. He had a different kind of power, a power that came directly from God and drew people to himself, a power that made him a threat to earthly powers, according to verse four and verse eight. John the Baptist feared God in a way that delivered him from the fear of man and allowed him to speak the truth of God even when it was costly. Can you imagine the courage the conviction, the freedom that John felt to go and speak the words from verse 4 to Herod. He said, It's it's not lawful for you to have her. He went and spoke the truth of God to this powerful man, regardless of the cost. And it cost a lot. He lost his earthly freedom and he lost his life by losing his head. But John the Baptist did not fear this loss, at least not at the expense of his faith in God. It reminds me of a lot of people, of a lot of people in the Bible, people of faith that spoke even when it was costly, knowing that God would defend them, that God would provide for them. I think about Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who in who both in their stories spoke truth in Babylonian captivity, the truth of God. Daniel would not quit praying to God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego would not bow down to that idol that had been created. Elijah and Ahab, story after story of God's prophets speaking up, speaking out the truth of God, willing to give their lives in order to be faithful to God and lead the people of God into greater faithfulness. Now, God spared their lives, but did not spare the life of John the Baptist here, something we'll talk about more later. But here's what Matthew wants us to see as his people. The kingdom of God, it will be a post. God is opposed post. There are are forces at work trying to stop the redemptive plan of God and the building of his kingdom. There are powers and principalities that we are wrestling with even now. But we should endure because the kingdom of God is better. The kingdom of God is worth it. And the kingdom of God wins. Listen, the kingdom of God may be opposed, but it is not threatened. There's no power that can come against us that, that threatens the foundation of the kingdom in which we stand, we must believe that, and rest in this. Listen, we have a better kingdom awaiting us, one that we are even presently in now. It delivers on its promises because it has a king that is good, and desires are good. The, the challenge for us today is to choose the better kingdom, to see clearly. That although this kingdom that God is offering in Jesus is different, it is better. Better in a sustaining way, even when opposition comes. So what I want to do this morning is through the, the lens of this text, add to this list that we've been building of of how the, the kingdom of God is different, yes, but also better. To encourage us, to, to keep on... We've not chosen the kingdom of God to choose it in the power of the Spirit today in response to the preached word. But if we are in the kingdom, to consider or to continue to pursue it for the glory of God. So let me, re- let me encourage you this morning, reminding you, adding to our list of the qualities of the kingdom of God that make it better. Firstly, firstly. Let's be encouraged this morning that our kingdom, the kingdom that we've been presented in by Jesus, is ruled by a better king. There's another comparison happening in our text this morning, not just between the two kingdoms, but between two rulers, between Herod as a ruler, kind of a a false or lower king, and King Jesus. As we read Matthew's gospel over and over again, we see the vanity of earthly power. What a fickle thing it is. It can be given, but it can be taken away in a moment. You know, Herod, even though he looked powerful, did not have a lot of power, not at least compared to that of Jesus. He was down the line in terms of Roman rule, and his limited rule was given to him largely just because of who his dad was, And he used that rule not for the good of his people, but for his own good. In fact, often his own people paid a very difficult price for Herod to hang on to his power. John the Baptist is a case in point. He lost his head for Herod to hold on to power. And listen, Jesus is a very different kind of king. Aren't you glad this morning? His power, the power of King Jesus, it's not fickle. It's not contingent on anything. There is no power above him or greater than them. It's an eternal power, a supreme power that brings about security for those who live under his rule and reign. There's not a single being, entity that can take away the power of Christ. It is not threatened ever, and he does not have to defend it. He can willingly choose to use this power for the good of his people, and he does. He does not act on a whim. He is not tossed to and fro by fleshly desires. No, this king, King Jesus, acts in divine wisdom in and accordance, in accordance with the design of the Father to lead us to salvation, to lead us to freedom, to lead us to life eternal and abundant. This king is steady and unchanging and you can trust him. Let me ask you a question. Who doesn't want to live under the rule of King Jesus? If I've got the choices of living in the kingdom of this world under the rule of guys like Herod the Tetrarch or living under the kingdom of heaven or the rule of King Jesus, King Jesus wins every time. He is better. His kingdom is better. Oh, that you would choose the kingdom of God today. That's the first way. The kingdom of God is better. It's ruled by a better king. Secondly, the kingdom of God is better because it delivers us from unhealthy fear. There's no doubt that Matthew is showing us who should really be afraid here. Who is, who is truly captivated by fear when opposition comes? It's a reminder to us, listen, sin the opposition of God, choosing things that do not honor God or giving worship and praise or are seeking to find satisfaction in places other than God, rejecting him, even though in our heart of hearts we know he's the only place to find satisfaction. Sin is a dangerous and damaging thing. When I read Herod's response in verse two, it's almost comical. I wanna laugh at him. I wanna feel superior to him as I, as I read about his paranoia. But I gotta say, friends, if I'm honest, I know this feeling. I, I know what's going on in Herod's mind. Now, I am, I'm not confessing this morning to a murder that I did to satisfy the whim of my adulterous lover. <laughs> I'm not confessing that, so you don't have to worry about that but I have been consumed by the consequence of my sin. I have lied awake at night wondering what people would do if they knew the darkness of my heart. I have wondered how God would bring judgment upon me for terrible mistakes, even though that I'm I'm in Christ. I remember some years ago when I got my first speeding ticket I was 15 years old. I had beaten the change in law in Louisiana, so I got my license at 15. I had just talked to my mom, who's not here today, thankfully, to give testimony. I had just talked to my mom and she said, Jared, be careful coming home, there's a lot of cops out today, don't get a speeding ticket. And it, it was almost prophetic. The moment I hung up with my mom, I did not slow down. When the speed limit changed from 50 to 35, I was still going probably 55 into 35 and the lights came on and I got that ticket. And I remember sitting in my car at 15 years old thinking about all the things that I had done the past week that would justify the Lord allowing this to happen in my life. (laughs) This was the judgment of God because I had done this, I had watched this, I had said this. And as I look back on that now, I think about what a flawed understanding of my relationship with God. No, I got a ticket because I didn't slow down in a 35 mile an hour zone. And the Lord's established the lands, he's established the government, and I paid a a penalty for not obeying the law. But that kind of, that view of the Lord, it, I don't think it's healthy. Because if we are in Christ, I'm not saying there's not consequence to sin, but if we are in Christ, we need to recognize that our Lord, our Savior, is, is desiring to bestow forgiveness upon us. We are not called to live in unhealthy fear. We are called to live in a godly fear, motivated and moved by the grace of God and the forgiveness of God that he has given us in Jesus. Sin entraps us. Sin entraps us in the brokenness of this world. It lies to us to make us believe that the things that do not honor God will satisfy us, which they won't. And then when we foolishly believe that lie, it grips us with fear that we will be rejected by God and man because of our foolishness, leading us into a cycle of fear And shame, that's where Herod is. He's entrapped in this fear, fear of retaliation that leads to a fear of man. You see it in response to the news of Jesus. You see it in response to the challenges of John the Baptist, verse 5 and verse 9. That's a fear that's too familiar to many of us in this room. But hear me this morning, the kingdom of God frees us from that fear. It frees us and it gives us a healthy fear rooted in the forgiveness of God. This is not a fear that causes us to to run away from God, but to run toward him with open arms because we recognize what God could do to us. We recognize what He could do in his all powerfulness for those of us who have rebelled and rejected his way, his rule in our life. But we also see the love of God on display that while we were still sinners, even while we were enemies of God, God sent his son to die for us, to allow us to have a way in repentance and belief, to be welcomed into the family of God, to be forgiven and have our sins covered by the blood of Jesus. This is good news friends. That's to drive us to Jesus, not away from him. This is what it looks like to live in wisdom. According to Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom. Listen, because John the Baptist's conscience was clean, because he knew the Lord truly, he did not fear man. He did not fear death. He did not fear losing what the kingdom of this world could take because he knew the power and the faithfulness of God. Who doesn't want to live in this kind of freedom? Who doesn't want to live in in this better fear, respect that leads to love, driven by the forgiveness of God? I want you to hear me this morning. If you are in Christ, if you are in his kingdom, you are forgiven. The blood of Jesus covers you. You are secure. And that security should cause you to live a life of faith. Amen. The kingdom of God is better because it's ruled by a better kingdom. It's, it's guided, it leads us to a healthy fear. And finally, it's better because it leads to eternal life. Perhaps the most shocking difference in the tale of these two men and the kingdoms they represent is that Herod stays alive. And John the Baptist dies. He dies violently. It's a pretty clear display of what earthly power can do. Wicked rulers, wicked governments, opposing forces that we have discussed, they have the power to take our lives. Our physical lives. But Matthew wants us to wrestle with a question Who is really dead and who is really alive? Now, I recognize it's a difficult question to wrestle with because death is perhaps the the worst consequence of sin we can face. It's scary. But death has two elements to it, right? We see that in the fall in Genesis 3, 4. There's physical death and spiritual death. Physical death is the result of spiritual death. And listen, Jesus has come to set us free from spiritual death, the spiritual death that we have suffered because of our sin. And one day, as a result of this, we will be freed from even physical death. We will have eternal life with eternal bodies that will never be taken away, free from the stain and brokenness of sin. John the Baptist, he set his hope on a different life. He set his hope on a different promise, and he believed it. He really, really believed it. He believed that what God had prepared for him was better than what he could hold on to here. He realized that his citizenship was in a different kingdom, that he was loyal to a better king in a different world. He entrusted his life, to the Lord. And he did it without seeing the end of Christ's ministry. That's a God given faith because he knew the Lamb of God had come. Church family, if we can grab a hold of these truths that yes, the kingdom of God is different, but it is better, better than this world because of the king who rules over it, the forgiveness that we experience in it that frees us from unhealthy fear, and the promise of abundant eternal life that awaits us. If we can grab a hold of this, there's nothing that we could lose in this life that is greater than what we gain. It will sustain us in faith as opposition mounts. And remember, John is just doing the work of pointing us to Christ here, yet again, a forerunner in every sense. And I think this is why John's life wasn't spared. Matthew wants to prepare us for the reality of what will happen to Christ. But this is not a failure in God's plan. Rather, Jesus is the one. This is almost a prophetic statement from Herod here. Jesus is the one who will come back from the dead with supernatural power, to judge those who have opposed God. He will bring ultimate peace and secure our hope and secure the hope of John the Baptist that we see displayed in our text because the kingdom of God is better. How should we respond today to this dramatic story that Matthew presents for us that causes us to consider these two kingdoms that are competing for our hearts. Let me offer three responses to us this morning to consider before the word, the power of the spirit. Firstly, choose the better king, Jesus. Choose him. Oh, can we just for a moment, church, sit and behold the glory of Christ. See his kingdom. See how much better it is. See the benefit of committing your life to living under the rule and reign of Jesus. This king, Jesus, is not guided by self-preservation, but self-sacrifice. You can trust in his promise. You can know that he is working for your good, working to give you life, eternal and abundant, not to take yours to prop himself up. Maybe today you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never transitioned from the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God through Christ. Would you give your life to him in repentance and belief? Would you choose King Jesus today? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Essentially, all that means is that you, say, you believe that Jesus is who he said he is and you confess that he did everything that he promised he would do for you. If the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes today to the reality and the glory of Jesus, would you respond by placing your faith in him? Would you join the better kingdom today by committing in faith to live under his rule and reign? At the end of our service today, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you, encourage you if the Lord's doing that work in your life. So come talk to us so we can pray for you. Secondly, for those of us who have chosen Jesus, who are following him, let's walk in the healthy fear of God, not the fear of God. Of man. Let's not let what people think drive our faithfulness and obedience. Let's wake up every morning with this question in our mind: what can I do today that pleases the Lord? What can I do today that that evidences the love that I have for Him and the forgiveness that He has offered to me? Let's strive to cast sin aside. Let's remove the enemy's threat to entrap us in the brokenness of this world and let's let's believe the promises of God properly fearing him. Let's trust that in our moments of failure, we can run to a father who has freely forgiven all those who cry out in repentance and walk forward and the joy and abundance that he has provided for us in Christ. And finally, let's rest in the promise of eternal life. If you are in Christ, you have the promise of a wonderful future with God for all of eternity. Let me ask you this question. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe what Jesus Has promised? Is your hope rightly placed? Do you long for what Christ has made available to us or is your heart divided? Remember, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Don't let your heart be captured by the things of this world, temporary things. You set your heart on eternity. You set your eyes on Christ and, and trust that when we look to Jesus, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There is a cost to following Jesus, but it is worth it. It will be Worth it. So choose today the better kingdom. The kingdom that is ruled by a better King Jesus, who frees us from unhealthy fear and allows us to walk in forgiveness with the promise of eternal life. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond this morning to the preaching of God's word. Do you need to choose Jesus today? Do you want to step into his kingdom? Come talk to us, we'd love to pray with you. If you're in Christ, what are you driving, being driven by in your life? The things of this world, unhealthy fear, fear of men, or the things of God? Don't let the enemy entrap you in sin. You rest in the grace and mercy of God. And would you just rejoice today in the future that awaits those of us who are in Christ. And you set your hope there. Because opposition will come. But that promise makes it worth it. Father, help us to respond in a way that honors you May we be a more faithful people because of our time together before your word today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.